Florida Basketball Podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, rewards, and athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's the way that NIL is supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, I will be joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. We're going to preview the Jumpman Invitational coming up Tuesday night in Charlotte. Um, if you're there, come and say hi. Send us a message on the uh, Florida Basketball Hour Twitter account. We would love to uh, spend some time with you, say hello. It was cool to meet a few of you at um, the other Charlotte game, uh, the Hall of Fame Hall of Hoops thing. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. We'll have plenty of time to dive into to Jumpman and the Michigan matchup um, and uh, all the good things that that the folks at Charlotte Sports Foundation are doing um, shortly. But we do have a game to talk about. Um, obviously, Florida uh, with a big win last night. Um, and it was kind of one of those things where I really felt like the Gators uh, played pretty well for 20 minutes, but they continue to kind of struggle to play 40 minutes of quality basketball. Like, I don't think Florida um, is in a spot yet where they've put 40 minutes together with the exception of the Florida State game. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's great that they put it together for a rival. Uh, but on the other hand, I think it's been kind of problematic that, that they continue to, to have some issues not being able to do that. And I really thought, you know, a couple of things that were kind of interesting were like yesterday, um, even though East Carolina got a boost from Cam Hayes transfer playing based on the federal court ruling that allowing two time transfers to play, um, you know, Florida's struggles weren't about like defending a good offense because ECU has been a good offensive team. They were about scoring um, and just an inability to, to do good things um, on the offensive side of the ball, especially in the second half. I mean, I thought Florida came out and attacked really well. Um, but – and Florida's transition offense obviously was was pretty effective for portions of the game, although Florida was too careless with the ball in transition, which I think was really harmful to the Gators in the end. Um, but, you know, it was half-court offense. Like when Florida was forced to try to score – in their half court offense, um, things did not go well for the Gators. And the other thing was like Sire Malonga, a guy that has not played a ton um, for uh, Mike Schwartz in ECU, like his 13 minutes or so were pretty impactful. Like they put him in there to kind of prevent Florida from getting easy buckets um, at certain points of the game underneath the basket. And like Sire Malonga is a freshman, but like he did his job under there. Like he, you know, he only had four points, only blocked one shot, but seemed much more impactful in like the 13 minutes he played. Honestly, like if I were Mike Schwartz, like we spend a lot of time criticizing our coaches and 
I don't want to say a lot, but like when we criticize coaches, it's usually Florida coaches because it's a Florida podcast. And like my criticism last night would be like, I don't understand why Mike Schwartz went away from Malanga because he was clearly like able to kind of bang with the Florida bigs in ways that I don't think Ezra Sor like was really able to do. And like plus minus really bears that out, right? Like Ezra Sor, worst player in the game from a plus minus standpoint, minus 12. Really kind of got manhandled underneath, you know, only three rebounds, um, committed four fouls. Now he did draw five fouls, which tied the game high with with Riley Kugel. Um, but I thought he um, just seemed kind of overwhelmed underneath. Uh, but Malonga was able to kind of maintain and keep Micah Hanlocked in, in check. And, you know, it's one of those games that we talked about Micah maybe having where he doesn't really put up double digit points, you know, he doesn't uh, get putbacks. And so he ends up with just kind of six points and kind of a ho-hum night. And as a result, like he's Florida's low plus minus guy, like kind of not a particularly impactful game from him. Um, And I wonder if he's still a little tentative because of the ankle on the offensive end or really what it is, but you know, Florida has, has not, they didn't get great play from him last night. I thought they got enough, obviously down the stretch from Tyree Samuel to win the game. Um, and that was a guy that Todd Golden, you know, referenced. And then um, Riley Kugel was so out of sorts offensively that really when, when Walter Clayton's ridiculous heater cooled off and he went quiet in the second half, like it was kind of the Zion Pullen. Alex Connie gets fouled, misses some free throws. And um, uh, Will Richard show. Like Florida just didn't have a lot of answers, especially in their half-court offense. Like whenever they weren't able to get in transition, their things were pretty problematic. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the other thing is like Florida's transition offense was fine, except – that I don't think Florida's transition offense was like really in a position where, um, well, I would say Florida's transition offense was good, except that it was careless with the basketball, which really limits the ability of it to be good. East Carolina never led, which is hard to believe considering the way that the game went. Um, and Florida had 20 points in transition last night, but you know, look at the turnover number and want to turn the ball over 18 times. And like, it's difficult to win. And seven of those 18 turnovers are transition turnovers. So that is not a particularly strong formula for like, you know, um, pulling away. And the Gators were just never able to pull away last night. They very fortunate to leave Lakeland seven and three. Um, I don't know if we have – I think we have, Eric. I don't know, though, for sure. So, uh, let me see. Yeah, you got me. Okay, awesome. So, we have Eric. Eric, uh, obviously a sloppy one last night. Um, Florida, pretty careless with the basketball. And, like, I'll just say it, like, just very poor offensively against a team that had not played good defense up to this point in the season. Yeah, this is a game that um... – you, you know, I, I, I definitely talked on our show that uh, beforehand that 
I thought it was going to be a difficult game for the Gators, but it didn't really go exactly as I thought. I thought it was going to be a situation where East Carolina was putting up points, particularly in the front court, um, which we did see um, parts of where Asar and and Johnson um, were able to use leverage and, and physicality to get to the rim. And I mean, oh man, if you're looking for... Um, you know, ways this game could have gone a lot worse. East Carolina generated a lot of open threes and missed, um, which in fairness, I do think that's part, part of the way that the Gators were guarding them because uh, they, they're not a good shooting team. Uh, but man, I, I do think that Asur and, uh, and Johnson left some, some points at the rim. I thought they missed a lot of layups. And some of that was definitely credit to Florida's length and being, I'm concerned uh, about that length, but I also think that there was um, just a lot of shots that they, they straight up missed, but um, so the, the game didn't go exactly as I thought it would, but also some of the overarching themes about the Gators kind of came true. What I talked about where I mentioned, I really do not think this is a very good offensive team. And uh, we're just seeing continually that, that the Gators are having, the, these games where they, they struggle to generate points in any way other than offensive rebounds and transition, which accounted for over half of their points uh, against East Carolina. Um, but their defense was, was really, really good um, for much of the game. And especially it was very good when it, when it mattered. So I, I, I do think this is a little bit of a glimpse into um, what the Gators probably are moving forward. Um, it's, and again, maybe it's recency bias because I predicted this yesterday and then we had these Carolina game, but I just, I really think this is a, a team that's much better defensively than offensively. Their offensive rebounding is continued to keep them afloat. But at, at some point, this, this inability to create in the half court is, is, is going to, is going to bite them. There's, there's going to be teams that keep them off the glass and uh, you've got to find a way to, to create points in, in those situations. And uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, I think a lot of people think of last year and uh, where the offense was, was, was very, very poor in the half court. Um, the Gators were 224th in the country in half court points per possession last year. Uh, the Gators are now 219th. And, you know, I mentioned that I thought that there was a lot to be desired from a strategy and coaching standpoint offensively last year when it came to the offense. And there was a whole lot of people that, that pushed back on me and said, oh, it's, it's the players. The players are awful. What's the coaching staff supposed to do? Um, you know, even though I had examples of, of what I thought was, was going wrong and what could be done differently. Right, right. And, uh, well, now I think people like the talent a lot more and the Gators are – 219th in the country in half court points per possession as opposed to 224th last year. So not, not a victory lap. I'm ready to take a third of the way through the season uh, entirely and not one that I'm, 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 I'm happy to, uh, to take, but I, I, again, it's just this, it, it just seems like the same things over and over again. But um, at the same time, it's, it's still pretty impressive. Like I was, you, you saw just the way that that game was, going and I don't know how you felt from the feel of things but yeah I just thought like I, I was like oh man the, the Gators are gonna lose this game and then in the last couple of minutes their their ability to defend and, and again just the intense level of grit um, power the Gators to to find a way to win and, and that is one thing as much as we can say oh the the offensive rebounding is is papering over problems it's also like well it has significantly raised the floor of this team where they can play 
Right. Like again, last year's Gators. Totally. Because again, you saw the numbers. 219th this year in half court offense. Last year, the Gators were 224th. Without offensive rebounding, the Gators probably score 59 points last. If this if this game happened last year, but there this is not last year's team. They are bludgeoning teams on the glass, and uh, we talk about it paper over papering over problems. But at the same time, it is still production. It is still putting points on the board, and it's still giving Gators wins. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, one thing I mentioned right before you joined was just that Florida. Like Florida has a chance to be very good offensively in transition. Um, so I guess I should tell you my thesis was I just don't think that whether it's schematic, um, and I think it's based on talent, it's probably schematic, but I'm not like I don't want to make conclusory statements because we haven't, you know, seen them as a group long enough, like fully with their full complement, right? But they have a chance to be good in transition. I really do think that. And we saw glimpses of it last night. But, like, if you look at Synergy, like, they're an average transition offense. And the reason is the turnovers. I mean, they just are so careless with the basketball in transition. Again, like, the 18 turnovers last night, seven came in transition opportunities. Riley Kugel is turning the ball over 19.6% of the time in transition right now, which is just a staggeringly large number. Um, so for perspective, because Eric does this a lot, and I'm learning to do that more like Eric, <laughs> um, the national average is 11.2. So, like, he's 8.1% over the national average on transition turnovers. Um, that's kind of a whopping number when you have 41 possessions where you're in transition. Um and just so you think I'm not picking just on Riley Kugel, like Walter Clinton Jr.'s turnover percentage right now in transition is even worse. It's 19.8. So, like, when two of your better players, you could make the argument two of Florida's best players um, or Florida's two best players if you want. I don't necessarily agree with that, but you could make that argument are turning the ball over on basically 20% of their transition opportunities. Like, it kind of limits your ability to be a great transition offense. Like you have, you, obviously you're playing faster. There's going to be some risk. You're going to have some transition turnovers from time to time, but like Florida did some stuff yesterday. that was just mind boggling. Like they got up nine and they get a four and one transition up four on one transition opportunity and turn the ball over. Like that kind of stuff are, those are just momentum killers. It's almost like a defensive kill from a momentum standpoint because you have a team on its back and then, uh, you commit a turnover and really within three or four possessions, instead of Florida going up double digits, it was back to a one possession game. And it just stayed that way um, throughout the rest of the game until the Tyree Samuel offensive rebound and dunk um, that that sealed the game. Um, and, you know, so Florida's carelessness with the ball, I guess, is my point, is something that has played this team really all season. And like I'm going to talk about that before I talk about like free throw shooting as like something that this Florida team just cannot afford to do because they're not good enough schematically to offset that. So um, I do think I'll say something specific to East Carolina, like the turnovers you're talking about were uh, uh, egregious in, in some senses. Um, I will say overall. Um, and again, I, I probably joked about this 
on the podcast um, before as, you know, transition has been a topic of this show for however many years we've been doing this over multiple coaching staffs and a lot of different players. But there's a lot of coaches that are like, oh, we want to play faster. We want to play faster. We want to play faster. And then they also get just absolutely livid at their teams for turning the ball over. And I will say it's one of those things that like, if you're going to play freakishly fast, which really the, the Gators have actually done this year, they've, they've played incredibly fast, which is what people have wanted for years. Um, and there'll be a number to support that in just a moment. But to some extent, I do think that the Gators will have to, to live with turnovers. And part of it is also the fact that sure. um, they're, they're so bad in the half court that right now, and could they get, get, get better? Absolutely. But if they're going to be in the two hundreds in half court efficiency, transition is going to be by far and away their best opportunity to score. And you're just going to have to, you might just have to live with some crazy turnovers because them making a maybe ill-advised pass on a four on three break might be better than them slowing it down and turning it into a half court possession where they're currently at 0.83 points per possession. Um, So, and then the, the other thing I'll say just regarding Florida's, um, kind of average efficiency from a points per possession standpoint and transition. I, I do think those numbers are, are I, I do think using just points per possession when evaluating teams transition abilities is um, like, I, I think sometimes it's, it's not a, a fair way to do it because again, yeah, right now the Gator, the Gators are um, I would say below average in the 40th percentile nationally in points per possession in transition, but they're they're getting or sorry transition possessions account for 22.2 percent of their total shots the national average is usually around 15 percent i haven't looked at it this year but for years it's been it, it's it's around 15 percent so the gators are getting way more shots in transition than the average team and the average points per possession of a transition attempt is higher for nearly everyone in the country so I mentioned before the gators are at 0.83 points per possession in the half court which is not good so don't use that as any benchmark but their average points per possession which is average nationally uh, their points per possession in transition is 1.05 points per possession so even though they're not great in transition still in average or slightly below average efficiency nationally transition attempt is is still pretty good for the gators and that and that number has has the turnovers baked in so I, I do think that they can get way better for, tr- in transition. Um, the turnovers you talked about, Neil, were just poor ones, poor decisions. Um, but but still, I think that you you look at the way the half-court offense is going, and I do think it's a success of this team that they've been able to get 22% of their shots in transition. And if they – you'd love to obviously see them get better, but if they're above a point per possession, well, that's still – that's um, that's going to be a better shot than, than what they take in the half-court. The final – response to that would then be um we've just seen countless times like you need to be able to execute in the half court at the end of games um if you're a team that relies so heavily on transition well like you're if you get the ball and you're if it's a one possession game in the final 90 seconds you you're probably not trying to run your your six second offense so um the half court problems will will persist but um, yeah, in, in transition, the Gators, even though things haven't been been great and you saw the, the good and the bad of it against East Carolina, I, I just wonder like this, this, this half court offense that's, that's so poor, like I, I still think you probably have to encourage the Gators to run it and you probably have to live with some of these, um, these turnovers in transition. Well, and I, so I agree with that. You know, I just think 
the two guys I identified, and mm. I'm not like trying to call people out specifically, but those those numbers are, are pretty eye-opening when it's one in five possessions, and those are two of the guys that are leading a lot of your transition opportunities. What I will say to kind of back up what you're saying is Florida's turnover percentage, like as a team in transition, is lower than their turnover percentage in half-court <laughs> offense. And, like, it's not like it's close either, by the way. It's 11.5 in transition and 15.4 in half-court opportunities. And, like, we're running out of the small sample size excuse because Florida's had 200 transition possessions this season, whereas, like, you know, obviously they've had more in half-court. But still, like, to be where there's a 4% gap and it's better in transition tells you, like, how discombobulated Florida can be on the offensive side. And the big part, like, in the half-court, though, you know, Kugel and, and Clayton are much better. At, at taking care of the ball. Um, although Kugel's pretty similar, actually. Clayton is better. Um, but Florida doesn't have many guys from a turnover percentage standpoint in, like, half-court offense that are just doing an excellent job of taking care of the ball outside of Zion Pullen and Tyree Samuel. And, like, those two guys are kind of why they won the game yesterday if we want to, like, break down what happened in the second half where Florida really became kind of a two-man show to escape with a dub. Um, first of all, I, um, uh, I, I realized I had the wrong number pulled up, um, and, uh, I pulled up the wrong number. Yeah. So it's at Florida's actually 0 0.88 points per possession half court. I said 0 0.83. Um, so I just want to make sure I corrected myself, feel okay. very bad at, uh, at that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I do think when you said the guys that were able to, um, able to kind of ultimately win the game. It's, it's, it's pretty interesting to just see like Zion Pullen. Like, I feel like he's been like incredibly quiet. And then you just like, look at, I forget what, you know, I don't know exactly what he's averaging, but like, it seems like he's like just quietly putting up production. And in this case, I think was like um, able to get some pretty huge buckets. Again, you mentioned earlier when Walter Clayton, um, his heater kind of came to an end at the, at the half, partially because of the way that um, East Carolina was guarding him. Um, Zion Pullen kind of took over and uh, again, just so physical, able to get into the paint um, and, uh, and, and finish that way. And I think that um, it's, 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 it's like you see it, you also see that he's over five at the three point line, but you're like Zion Pullen is like a 35% three point shot away from being a very, very good player. Um, so I, I, it's a couple things I was, you know, came in looking at his three point numbers last couple of games and being concerned about that. Curious a little bit of your, your thoughts. Um, and it's also a situation where um, with Zion Pullen, I, I think his three point percentages throughout his career, if you just looked at the three point percentage category is incredibly misleading because he shot um, 40% as a sophomore, but he only shot 53 threes in the entire season. And then last year he shot 38% and he only shot 64 threes. So I feel like I've seen a lot of people citing him as a 38% three-point shooter. And it's kind of like, yeah, but so, um, and then of course he's struggling to shoot, but um, I, I really do think Zion Poland was, uh, was fantastic. And uh, I, I, again, I think that he's probably, while you were talking about guys that were struggling with turnovers a little bit, um, particularly in transition, but I think much of your points could have um, also worked in the half court. We're still seeing Walter Clayton struggle with, struggle with turnovers. Um, 
in the like going through the just kind of regular actions when he has has the ball in his hands. Um, yeah. Zion Poland just very very calming presence. Yeah, I mean Poland. I mean, you know what? I mean, you mentioned getting like important buckets, but like two of his most important plays yesterday weren't even baskets. They were like almost an identical spot on the floor to where Walter Clayton turned the ball over in the Virginia game where, you know, he got caught in the side and was trapped and just kind of calmly like refused to pick up his dribble and then found Tyree Samuel for a huge kind of momentum shifting basket under the hoop. And then um, another play where there was a turnover and like, I think Florida felt like kind of deflated because they had, Yet again, tried to drive and make the cross court pass that that sort of system dares you to make. And um, another deflection looked like it was going to lead to a run out. And like Pullen kind of put himself in a position where he pursued and it was, you know, actually, I think Mark Wise said he was trying to foul. And like, I didn't think that was what he was trying to do at all. Like, I think he was trying to swat at the ball. And like he did enough, you know, trying to body the the guy on his way to the rim and swat at the ball where he forced a missed layup, right? And like Florida came back down and scored. And I thought, and that's what sparked that big run, which ultimately ended in uh, what the four on one fast break where Florida decided it was a great time to try an alley-oop when a simple layup would have been very, uh, very effective. But, um, you know, I just thought, like, it's just plays like that that Zion Pullen makes where he's so under control that explain why, like, you're going to have to live with the fact that he's got kind of a Kyle Loftony looking three-pointer, you know, very low elevation on it. Um, you know, I mean, he's going to have some nights where it goes in, um, as he has his whole career. But I don't think you're going to get anything more than 30 to 35% from him from – from three this season. He just doesn't take a ton of them, which is okay. Um, and then, you know, the other thing he does is he gets in the lane, he plays under control, and then he gets fouled. Um, and so, you know, I think when that kind of stuff happens and he's one of the only guys hitting his free throws, you kind of you kind of live with it. Yeah, I think that you mentioned that, like, maybe you just have to live with a Kyle Loftony design colon stroke. Like, um it's. I, I think you've already seen that the Gators are living with it just on the basis of the fact that he took five three-pointers last night. Like, that just actually – like, I, again, I don't think people realize he shot under two threes a game, and he would usually take one a game that was a wide-open one. Um, so the, even the fact that he took five is clearly Florida's staff being comfortable with it and probably encouraging it. I would have to imagine that both for um, Pullen's kind of pro prospects as as well as – um, what the Gators want from their backcourt, um, having someone be a threat to shoot is 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 pretty huge. So I'm so I'm sure that Poland has been encouraged to shoot, and I think that that should be the case. And um, I, I I I absolutely understand that it was the fact that he only took wide open threes is why he had a good percent on a very low, um, very low number of attempts. But at the same time, it's like well, like he still had a you know was able to hit them when they're wide open, so. Right. What's the natural next step? Okay, start taking them when they're a little bit more contested. So, um, but again, uh, you know, like Malik asked me, like, "Oh, do you think he's going to turn it around?" And I was like, "Well, may- maybe," um, because again, I think that if you were expecting a thirty-eight percent three-point 
shooter um, because 38% was next to his name last year, that would be uh, a misuse of statistics. Um, and uh, one that's was, you know, you could, what, what wasn't, wasn't hard to sniff out. It was easy to tell from a mile away. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I guess the question, like you said, Oh, are you like what, or I forgot what percentage you said, but like the, the fact that you're not expecting a great percentage, I think the question for Poland is, is he going to be a 36% three point shooter taking 1.5 threes per game because he's only taking wide open ones, or is he going to be a 31, 32% three point shooter taking four or five? Um, because I, I think that those are the two uh, most probable outcomes, not the only two outcomes that's, that would be foolish to say, but I think that those would be the two two kind of um probable outcomes but even without yeah. him sh- with him um i don't know if we want to say not being a threat from three like we haven't had enough sample size like our team's going to guard him like he's andrew nemhard or, or kyle lofton we will we will have to see um i still feel like the respect is going to be there a little bit a little bit more um just based on how his stroke looks and his yeah. ability to knock down mid-range jumpers but um you know i i still am happy he's out there and I, I I find myself um like I mean he played 29 minutes last night so that was that was big there's a couple games where he didn't play that much and those games I found myself wanting for more Zion Pullen minutes and uh yeah so the, the the lack of a shot has not yet been a deterrent to to his contributing I don't believe um and uh that kind of maybe leads us into one of the big storylines I would say uh, of these Carolina game is the fact that the Gators closed out the game um, with Riley Kugel on the bench with Riley Kugel struggling all game, one for six from the field, two points, four turnovers and, uh, and Micah had locked it on the bench for, for Alex Condon, um, which I, I don't feel was as much as, you know, I feel like that's, that's turning out to be a little bit more of a, uh, of a coin flip type situation, but um, as, as to who's has to who could be the the more trusted guy um, in the end. But I'm curious your thoughts um, on on that starting or sorry not starting lineup on that closing lineup because yes it was certainly notable to see Riley Kugel not out there and potentially a little bit notable that it was not Mike Hanlockton. Yeah, so I'll start with Hanlockton because I think that's a shorter discussion. Like for me, it was like this was one of the games that we kind of expected from Micah. Um, and I think this was one where you and I were in agreement. Like he would have these games where he didn't score in double digits, where he his limitations as sort of a half court player um, are evident. You know, like he he doesn't have much of a post game. Like they're not throwing the ball into Micah Hanlockton and like letting him operate in the post, a la Colin Castleton, right? Like so when he's limited in that respect, and then like he was bothered by Sire Malonga, I thought quite a bit. Um, and, like, I know we spend a lot of time criticizing our staff. Like, I thought it was odd that Mike Schwartz went away from Sire Malonga, who was pretty effective, I thought. Um, and, you know, like, I sort of get why he did that because Ezra Azor was getting to the basket. But I felt, I felt like Azor was having, like, serious problems on the other end, like with Samuel, Hanlocked, and Condon. You know what I mean? And, like, Malonga's length was, was not. And so – you know, that's a different discussion point really. But so Hanlockton is limited as a half court player um, and wasn't particularly impactful on the glass uh, and didn't get fouled in the entire game yesterday. So like, I get it. Like Florida needed to execute half court offense down the stretch. 
And Micah wasn't that guy. He wasn't a guy that was going to do that. So, like, I have no problem sitting him. Alex Conn is a much more versatile player at this point in his career, um, which is strange to say, but true. And so, like, that made sense to me, um, Eric. So maybe we can go back and forth on that, and then we can go to Kugel. Yeah, I, I have no real I, – I, I agree with you. I thought the Condon, while not being, um, you know, still – we have seen this year having having struggles with with the kind of big that we continue to talk about that gives – whenever we whenever we talk about the Gators having trouble with these, like, more below-the-rim physical centers, like, it's, it's, it's kind of geared towards Micah Hamlockton and Alex Condon. Like, I would say that their problems are kind of – the same as as skinnier, very tall players with high centers of gravity, um, but I do think Alex Condon has been handling physicality a little bit better, and I don't think it's uh, like yes, everyone talks about Condon's <laughs> like he plays the game like with a lot of fire and loves contact, um, but I don't think like it's even like that. Like I actually just like I do think he is potentially stronger than um, than than Hanlockton. Uh, it just seems like when guys are trying to bully the Gators under the rim and um, using crab dribbles on, on the left block to get to their right-handed hooks. It just seems like Conan is holding up to that a little bit better. And uh, so I don't know if that was something that came in or, 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 or what it was, but um, I just kind of think when you look at those guys, it's like, okay, Conan is, I would say a little bit better in transition, um, a little bit stronger. Hanlockton has been more impactful on the glass and, um, Ooh, I don't know if I want to get into this right now, but um, Alex Condon might be the better rim protector. As everyone kind of came in saying that Micah Hanlockton was going to be the greatest rim protector in the world, and I pushed back on it with numbers and film from Marshall. Um, <laughs> Mike, Micah Hanlockton has – teams are shooting a very high percentage against him at the rim, and he's at yeah. 0.8 blocks per game. So, you know, not, not really the discussion I want to have right now, but if you're looking for a differentiating factor – you know, the, I think a lot of people would have thought that rim protection would have gone in Micah Hanlockton's favor. It's certainly not cut and dry, um, if, if not favor Alex Conan. But again, I, I, I don't think I don't think that was a hugely consequential decision. And I think that that's obviously a, a kind of strength that the Gators have that I really do feel like you kind of know exactly what you're going to get from the center position for 40 yes. minutes between Hanlockton and, and Condon is that elite play right now no so, i don't believe so but it's very very good play well like to your point like the block that alex Condon made in transition yesterday oh that was nasty was just a spectacular play and like there's just not a chance in the world that micah hanlockton can make that play and while we're while we're talking about um, <laughs> um florida's that's uh, not a knock on micah hanlockton really by the way no, no, it's no, it's not that. That's full Conan. But I thought it was like while we're talking about things that the Gators did good, particularly defensively. Like talking about transition defenses is not really anything. Like this is more just like the pure athleticism. But like Will Richard had a play chasing down. Like the, oh, there, you yeah. had that horrible goal, like yeah. horrendous goaltend call. But like because of the way that Florida was turning the ball over, you had those situations where like Will Richard at full sprint going back, protecting the rim in transition, Alex Condon, that was just beautiful. That block. Um, I love block shots. They might be my favorite highlights in, in, in basketball. So um, yeah, that was pretty big. So, and again, I'm not using it, it in my, Micah Hanlockton has not been the rim protector that people think he is slash was going to be. I'm not thinking about like running back and transition Alex Gonnon style, but yeah, it is it is like like you mentioned in a game that 
that was actually really slow, but then had some like weird moments of intense pace in the second half. Yeah, it was very Condon, Condon, I think, is is a little bit more more suited to that. But um, yeah, yeah, and I, I kind of like, yeah, not it's 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 notable that Condon closed the game out. But yeah, I don't think there's any. I don't I don't know how much you know huge th- thing there is to say. It's almost just a positive that I think you could put in the freshman that like you know before the season, I would not have predicted Alex Condon to be closing out games at all in any situation. So. Um, happily, happily wrong on that standpoint. But yes, I think unless you have more notes on that, Neil, no the more notable one would be Riley Kugel on the bench. Yeah, it was Riley Kugel, and like I think, so my take on it was it was turnover related, and it was it was turnover related in this sense, Eric. Like I think you can live with a Riley Kugel turnover when he's attacking, getting downhill, going to the rim, right where he's good because he can draw contact. Like, I'm disappointed in the way Riley Kugel's shooting free throws this season. Um, but, like, I think you can live with his aggressive turnovers. What you can't live with and what you can't have in a game where you have to execute better in your half-court offense down the stretch is where Kugel isn't being aggressive, he's deferring, he's passing up open shots, and he's turning the ball over. Like, to me, it was just a combination of all of that because I didn't think his defense was particularly bad last night. And, like, I don't – plus minus can be kind of deceiving, I guess. But, I mean, he was plus eight, which was the second highest number in the game. Um, so, Florida was defending well when he was on the floor, which shouldn't surprise anyone because Florida tends to defend best when Riley Kugel's on the floor. Um, but offensively, I mean, he passed up some wide-open catch-and-shoots uh, and then just made a couple of mind-boggling turnovers that led to a couple of of ECU's only real uh, transition opportunities. And I think it was sort of the combination of all of that. And so when he airballed a step back about halfway through the second half, and we didn't see him again, I wasn't terribly surprised. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we can make – we've talked on a number of, of situations about – where there are deficiencies in, in, in Kugel's game and where he's struggled a little bit. But I, I kind of think in, in a setting like like East Carolina, like on the broadcast, there was a bunch of like, oh my goodness, Riley Kugel's not in the game. And on Twitter, there was a whole bunch of, oh my goodness, Riley Kugel's not in the game. What what the heck? And there's a lot of um, message boards. Oh my goodness, can't believe Riley Kugel's in the game. Like, to me, it's as simple as this. Who was he better than last night? Would you Do you want to take Walter Clayton out for him? I right. wouldn't. Exactly. Do you want to take Zion Pullen out for him? I wouldn't. Do you want to take Will Richard out for him? I wouldn't. To, to me, the, the like again, I think that the three perimeter players, the the guys that were playing the best basketball, clearly were were in the game. So, and I, I do think this was a very bold decision from from Golden. Um, it is like Riley Kugel's your 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 star, and maybe not by on the court stuff. But going into the season, he is—he was set up to be your guy, your 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 star player, and uh, to be in a whatever buy game in a neutral site situation, and not be able to say, "Oh, he's in our best five. That is, you know, that's hard to do at this point in the season, and it'll be very interesting to see how Radicu responds to that. Um, but I, I think that, yeah, I think it was a bold decision by the staff, and I think it was the right one. I think they they did what they needed to do to to win a, a game that very easily could have gone the other way. So 
to be honest, actually going back to the decision of like, you know, I thought that Will Richard and Zion Pullen and Walter Clayton were, were significantly better than Riley Kugel. And those guys should have been on the floor. I think the only, the, the better conversation would have been, you know, do you want, would you take Alex Condon out, move Tyree Samuel to the five, insert Riley Kugel and play smaller, which I think the Gators, you know, could have gotten away with um, given uh, East Carolina's not massive and, and, and stuff like that. Um, could have been some uncomfortable situations with maybe Johnson posting up Richard, but again, maybe you just live with that in the final minutes of the game. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, uh, we, we also just know that the Gators like really want to play um, their, their, their two bigs at, at once. So if, if that is the situation and there's going to be three perimeter players on the floor, well, I think it was pretty clear who Florida's best three perimeter players were. And yeah, those guys were, were on the floor. Yeah, and I, I mentioned Pullen and Samuel, and really, I'm glad you shouted out uh, Will Richard a couple times here because I thought he maybe played other than Tyree Samuel, who I thought was spectacular last night. Um, I thought uh, Will Richard probably was Florida's most complete player for 40 minutes. You know, both ends, like great on the glass. Um, I still wish he'd shoot more than four threes a game. Uh, you know, I, I wonder how you feel about that, but. Uh, Yes, I want more. Yeah, more uh, catch and shoot threes for him, please. Yes, you know, and and you know, it's not Zion's fault really that like three of his five three point attempts were like late shot clock desperation threes, but like Florida has got to do some stuff in practice where they're trying in late shot clock situations to make sure that like Will Richard is an option, and I don't think they did that enough last night because he should just shoot more than four threes a game. Um, but very, very good last night. Only committed one foul, played excellent defense, um, had a block, had what? Yeah. Well, he had three blocks, <laughs> including the spectacular block you mentioned. So, so just, just interrupt for a moment because um, I thought this was surprising. And this is like not a – this is like I, – I was going to say not a good metric. I, I don't want to say that, but like this shouldn't be leaned on too heavily, but it's always – they're always interesting, and that is the Ken Palm game MVPs. And um, despite being fourth on the Gators in, in scoring, um, Will Richard was the Ken Palm MVP for this game. And uh, again, I just thought that was like somewhat notable that uh, um, he, you know, he stuffed the stat sheet in a lot of ways with his blocks and, and steals and and assists. But uh, um, almost like. Yeah, he had, he had that like very well well rounded game, but uh, yeah, he was Ken Palm MVP, so that would support your your <laughs> if you wanted to use that. I would not yeah. always use Ken Palm MVPs as distinguishing factors in in best players, but uh, yeah, there was uh, I thought he was tremendous. So again, you you taking Riley Kugel for that guy? Uh, I, right. I don't think so. No, and I think that's it's good that they've gotten him uh, will going in the last couple of games because you know I mean you mentioned it. Obviously, Florida closes the the month of December with a couple games that they should win handily in Grambling State and Quinnipiac. But, um, you know, Tuesday night, a matchup against Michigan. Um, and Florida's going to need Will Richard. Like, I think Florida, as good as their defense has played at times in the last couple games, maybe there's, you know, signs of, of life there. Um, signs of an improving defense, as we discussed on on the prior podcast before this game. Uh, but you know, Michigan can score. The one thing that they can really do is shoot. Um, the one thing that they have not done very well is is defended. Um, 
they, you know, they have a lot of issues with, uh, with half court defense, which, you know, naturally will probably look a lot better against Florida. If I want to offer a, a quick hot take, um, <laughs> they've had issues rebounding pretty much the whole season as well. Um, so, you know, I think, look, here's the deal. The Wolverines have determined that they play better defense when they slow the game down. So they have slowed their tempo down pretty markedly in the last five games. Like their first five games were all played at 72 or more possessions, Eric. Their last five games or four games have been at 68 or lower. So that's a, it doesn't sound like a lot, but that's definitely slower. Like that's markedly slower. So I think that they figured out like that they can slow things down and play a little bit better defensively. Now I say that, and obviously they just played Iowa and won a conference game in a 75 possession game, but that wasn't because they defended. That was because they shot the lights out of the basket. Um, and the real emphasis with the Wolverines right now from their staff, uh, which is mostly Phil Martelli at this point because of all the weird Jawan Howard stuff has been, we need to defend better. Um, you know, Phil Martelli is a lifer. Everybody respects him. Um, and I'm sure that he'll have a big hand in, in the plan that they put together for Florida. Yeah. I, I think when you look at Michigan, um, you see uh, Doug McDaniel, um, point guard. He's been lighting everyone up, a little undersized guard. Everyone loves those kind of players. Um, Namari Burnett, familiar name, senior. Um, Terrence Williams, really solid, six foot seven, big physical wing. Um, Olivier Kamwa, again, familiar player to Gators fans, transferred to Michigan. Uh, Terrace Reed, six foot 10, 270, um, very good back to the basket post player. You're like, oh man, this starting lineup is really good. Um, they're they're big, they're physical. It's a small electric point guard with a lot of size and some um, some decent, some really solid shooting around him. Um, they have shot the ball really well. And then you're like, man, this team could like, like that starting lineup looks like a team that could be like a second weekend NCAA tournament team. Um, and then they just have gotten nothing off the bench. Um, they are very. Um, they're very thin. They've gotten killed with their minutes whenever they have to go to the bench. If I look up on Ken Palm quickly, let's see if this back this backs up. It does. Michigan is thir- 347th in the country in bench minutes. So they just don't have much, much depth at all. And you saw earlier where they were playing some high possession games. The first time they got, they got bit was against Long Beach State, who put up 94 points on them, and they lost to Long Beach State. Um, and that was where things started to um, – they lost five of six. And, um, and again, this team that was the, the way too early um, small sample size theater MVP of the first week and a half of the season, suddenly people were not so, so hot on them. But, um, yeah, I think that the pace is, is kind of – the pace is two things. It's like, one, they are like a very physical, muscular team. Um, again, Olivier Comwatt, six foot nine, two thirty five at, at the four. Um, Terrence Williams is a big fit, would play the four for most teams. Plays the three for Michigan. Um, I, I think the part of it is just like they've got a lot of like big heavy players, and also it's just like they they don't have depth. So and and I think they're at their best. Like I'm sure Doug McDaniel would be would be great playing in transition in a lot of settings. Um, but he's also like. Michigan has something kind of going with with him just operating a whole bunch in the half court and he's like constantly getting paint touches he's just like 
so slithery. Um, he's knocked down shots, which is um, was was kind of the concern for him entering college. And uh, yeah, I, I I think this this Michigan starting five is is tremendous. Um, I'm kind of surprised. Not that I thought that they would be a stellar defensive team, but I certainly thought they'd be better than than what they have been. Um, but I just think, presuming that the Gators continue to start the same five they have, like Zion Pullen. Alex Condon, like that is a massive advantage. Like the, like the bench productivity should be heavily in, in Florida's favor. Yeah. And it really should. And I think, I think it's a game where, I mean, again, you know, I, I like the matchup with Tyree Samuel and Terrace Reed too. Like, I think that's advantage Florida. Um, I think Samuel is just more athletic uh, and quicker and should be able to, kind of have his way um in that matchup uh so i think that's a that's a solid one now it'll be interesting if they're able to isolate reed on like hanlockton because that's exactly the type of player that hanlockton has had a lot of problems with and condon too for that matter but um you know will jace howard play that's another question that's mm-hmm. kind of up in the air obviously uh that jace howard uh Jawan howard's son there's a lot of stuff you know, you guys can Google that one. Um, <laughs> but if he plays, it's a different wrinkle that they haven't had all season um, because he's had a stress fracture in his foot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the big part are the big issues right now have just been, as as Eric alluded to, the bench and then the the idea that they've they've had to replace Hunter Dickinson. And uh, you know, so far, a guy that that Florida handled last year in Nkambwa. And then Terrace Reed have gotten, you know, most of the minutes. And obviously Terrace Reed was a big time recruit, but he's just not been able to handle more veteran collegiate players to this point. Um, so that's kind of um that's kind of you know what you're looking at when you're looking at them, uh, especially and and part of the reason that they've struggled defensively is just they've had a ton of issues both defending. It, it's it's one thing when you have like one clear weakness and like they've clearly had problems defending the arc, but like they have not been good as an interior defense either. And um, you know they they also don't have particularly big like their wings are kind of Mike Whiteish wings, right? Like Namari Burnett was uh, Namari Burnett was a McDonald's All American, I think. I'm not totally sure about that, but I remember he was like a very high recruit. Well, like he starts on the wing for them and like is six, three, you know, like he's not a very big player. Like he's not a traditional wing. So he's undersized and another guy, I think Florida can attack in mismatches. And like, if Florida can get Riley Kugel on him, maybe they can get him downhill and get him going a little bit. Yeah. I think that too, you just, one thing that strikes me against Michigan about Michigan and um, uh, another note as well, just on the, the injuries to, to Michigan, um, Jalen Llewellyn, who the Gators um, went after at one point and then kind of um, cooled cooled on him, and I, I, I don't think ultimately we're interested in taking him. Um, he ended up at Michigan, had a bit of a rough couple games to start the season last year, and then tore his ACL. He came back for a game or two to try it, and he's been out since. So um, that was a player that Michigan was really thinking would play a huge role for them both last year and and this year. Um, missing missing him so like you've got to think too like off edge uh, jail Noel and um kind of a combo guard he's undersized but 
a very good player in my opinion. Um, and then Howard, um, suddenly their bench is looking much, much better. And I actually do think Trey Jackson's a six foot 10 center that, that comes off the bench room. Like, again, he's not, not great, but like, he's a good, he is a serviceable player off the bench. It's just like, yeah, he can stretch the defense too. They, yeah, they just, they just have so, so little going off the bench. It's like a, a stretch five who hasn't yet knocked down a lot of shots, but has potential. It's just not doing it for them. But, um, I think what strikes me about Michigan, um, is just the fact that like they played one, two, three, four, five, um, six. Yeah, is that six? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six high major opponents um, plus Memphis, who's you know functionally a, a high major opponent, and they've also played Long Beach State and and Youngstown State, who are who are really good mid majors. So like their schedule has been has been very very good. And then so when you start to look at their numbers, like like they're thirty nine. So this is like one thing that like you know I, I get and I don't like. You know, the Gators did pretty good on the defensive glass and, and Todd Golden is like, oh yeah, and like East Carolina is was a top forty offensive rebounding team and you know we really were able to handle them. It's like, yeah, like that that is a factually true statement, but I do think that East Carolina, who had played a lot of garbage teams, have that's gonna inflate that number. Um then you look at Michigan, they're 39th in the country in offensive rebounding, and they've played six high major teams, Memphis. And actually, they also played UNC Asheville, who's a really good major team. So they, their schedule this year, um, which is five and five, not great, but they've played functionally seven high major teams and three very good mid-major teams. So you start to look at those numbers and you're like, oh, this is like probably for real. Um, so again, Michigan can hammer the offensive glass. They're kind of Florida-like where they struggle on the defensive glass. They're 225th, which is just so interesting to me, all these teams that are so good on the offensive glass but but struggle on the defensive glass. Um, so we'll see. The Gators could have, once again, have an absolute field day on the offensive glass, which has just been something we can talk about on every podcast. And it seems like every time I have to write about a game of Gator country, it's like, once again, once again, the Gators didn't get a lot going offensively, but absolutely hammered their opponent on the offensive glass and won the basketball game. Um, and then I, I think, like, again, these are, like, raw numbers, but just what jumps off the page is, like, they're 51st in the country in three-point percentage and 19th in the country in two-point percentage um, and 22nd in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. And it's like they have not done that by hammering a bunch of crappy teams. Again, they haven't, they haven't played a crappy team in my opinion, UNC Asheville's the, 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 the worst team they've, they've faced. Yeah, and right. I think UNC Asheville's good. So um, yeah, I, I, not that the Gators are not battle tested at this point, but I just right. think you can like, you can look at a couple, a couple numbers and look at some of these numbers for opponents. And you're like, ah, <laughs> oh, the sample size is small. Um, I don't know. We've got some pretty real, real stuff on, on Michigan. And I think that their offense efficiency is for real and they're, Offensive rebounding is is for real, um, but I also think their poor defensive rebounding is for real. <laughs> I can't; it's, it cuts both ways. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just it just I just feel like every game we could have, or every conversation we have, Neil, about games is just like, oh well, do you think the Gators are just going to win it with offensive rebounding again? And it's a legitimate conversation. Yeah, man, I think that that's I think that's spot on, and and like it would be great if Florida could exploit, like. Florida has more shooters than they had last year. So, like, it'd be great if they could exploit, like, a bad perimeter defense, which is really what Michigan is on paper. And, you know, I think that number is probably pretty accurate, too, based on the schedule that Michigan has played. Like, teams have been able to get shots, you know, on the perimeter and and mostly kind of had their way out there. Um, you know, can Florida do that? 
that'd be great. And then the other thing, like, you know, I, I did want to mention Nkamwa because he was obviously one of the more attractive players in the transfer portal, uh, especially after the, what, the 27-point outing against Duke in the NCAA tournament. And, like, to some extent, they've gone the way that he's gone, to be quite honest. I mean, he's only had one game where he was highly effective that they lost. That was Indiana, and he fouled out. Um, and he had 18 points in that game, five rebounds, a couple assists, a block, but he fouled out. Like, otherwise, like, again, they've kind of gone as he as he's gone. He had 25 against UNC Asheville, a good team. They beat them. He had 17, didn't miss a shot against Youngstown State, a good team. Uh, they won by 30. He had 16 – no, he had nine against St. John. So that was – okay, so I, that's the other aberration. He was kind of quiet that game but like he's been who they wanted him to be like the guy that we saw in the NCAA tournament not the guy who would disappear at times for Tennessee last season um and then Doug McDaniel has as you said kind of been who that they they expected him to be it's been like who else is gonna offer punch and like yes they have balance offensively yes they've been very efficient offensively but like it's really kind of a two-star show right now. And like, if you can slow Mkamwa, they don't really have anybody else that can overwhelm you. Yeah. I, I also will say just as, as a note, like I like didn't recognize Kamwa this year from last, like he looks like a completely different player to me. And I, and I, not that I, not that he was a bad player, but I thought he was just like, again, one of these Tennessee, like yeah, battering Tennessee. Ram guys. <laughs> And like he has like legitimate skill, and uh, yeah. is is someone who has been like taking guys from the high post with, with multiple dribbles. And um, I've just been very impressed with Kamwa's yeah. game. He has been yeah. much much better. And and again, he was someone who was kind of like mixed like reviews when he went to Michigan. Um, some people were like, "This is an awful take," because like, look at this guy couldn't do anything offensively at Tennessee and whatever. And um, yeah, I think he's been really good, and now he's shooting thirty eight percent from three. So, um, Kamwa is a player that I think is is of of high concern. I mean, you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned Kamwa handlocked in matchup. I, I think that the more natural kind of situation would be. Well, what did you say? Well, I said, or Terrace. You said Terrace Reed, Samuel. Yeah, Terrace Reed handlocked in would like concern me a little bit, um, and then I like. Like if Nikamwa and like Samuel battle, that's great. But if Florida can isolate Samuel on Reed, mm, even better. gotcha, gotcha. Because yeah, I do think the natural matchup will be Kamwa and Samuel, and uh, that's just going to be something that, like, I think, like, do not get me wrong. I think Tyree Samuel has been very, very good this year. Um, just a tremendous get from the for the Gators. But I do think he has had the advantage of because he's played the four he's gotten to, you know, bully some, some smaller players. And I do think that in this game against Kamwa, suddenly you're seeing guys that are two guys that have played center at, at previous stops. And uh, yeah, it's that, that matchup is going to be interesting because again, Samuel is also a guy who can take a guy from the high post with, with a, with a number of dribbles. Like I, I think this is like the most fun Tyree Samuel matchup this year. Um, I can't think of one I've been, like, yeah. this more. And, and, and again, it's just like the way that most teams totally are like, built in college basketball. Like, very few teams have some of their best players at the four anymore. And this is a situation where, uh, you know, probably you'd say Doug McDaniel has been, you'd probably say that's been Michigan's best player. He's certainly putting up the points. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, and you could certainly argue that Tyree Samuel has been Florida's best player. Not saying that that's the, that should be people's choice. Walter Clayton, of course, has been tremendous, putting up tons of points. Um, but yeah, I just think that that matchup is going to be really interesting. And then at the fi- and then at the fives, you would have the 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 guys that are a little bit less um, relied on as as initiators and and offensive guys in Terrace Reed and and Micah Hanlott in with Terrace Reed having a lot of poundage on, on hand locked in and hand locked in having more, more length. And uh, yeah, I'd be interested to see how much exactly um, that's something that Michigan even wants to go to. And of course I will be very interested on the offensive glass because again, like in a lot of these games we're like kind of been saying like, Oh, like this, these are teams that like could maybe keep the Gators off the glass. And it's like, I mean, Michigan has been, not a very good defensive rebounding team, but they hypothetically have the, the size to keep the Gators off the glass. So it's like, I don't know. Could the Gators be held in, in check on the glass? Like, I'm going to guess no, just because Florida's been hammering everyone and Michigan has them good on the defensive glass. But then you've also just got to look at, like, the pure size and say, like, hey, maybe this is maybe this is the one. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's strange to have to have offensive rebounding discussions on every every preview, but this is where we're at. Yeah, I mean, they went to Oregon and rebounded great um, and lost in overtime. Now Oregon is not a great offensive rebounding team, but they are a great defensive rebounding team. Um, so, you know, they thought that they had kind of cured some of their rebounding woes in that game. Um, and, you know, Indiana, again, not a great defensive offensive rebounding team. Mike Woodson doesn't really emphasize that. Indiana got nine offensive rebounds anyway which is not a ton, but it's more than Michigan got. And and the point being like, you know, yeah, I mean, they can be had on the glass. They've gone increasingly with a bigger lineup uh, of uh, Will Shetter, Terrence Williams, Doug McDaniel, Trey Jackson, and Nkamwa, uh, which is about the tallest thing that they could put on the floor other than McDaniel, right? But even then, like Llewellyn, I think, is probably, yeah, I guess he's a little taller than Doug McDaniel, but who isn't? Um, <laughs> So, you know, that could be a lineup that, that Florida sees quite a bit. Uh, Will Shedder's not particularly a, a threatening offensive player, but a, a, probably one of their better defenders, I think. And and um, so, you know, that would be interesting. Um, but but I do, I am intrigued by, like, some of the, the minutiae in these matchups. Like, if Florida can get – Tyree Samuel isolated on Terra Street, like Florida has a real athleticism edge there. Like if Florida has its Samuel versus Kamwa like all the time, like, you know, that's a pretty intense matchup between two really good players. Uh and and could be a lot of fun, Eric. You have to think this is gonna be a close game. So who do you uh who do you expect to be Florida's closing five? <laughs> yeah, I mean I know that's that's a kind of that's a real no, question still, to ask because yeah, it's obviously pretty game flow. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I look. I still think, I still think Riley Kugel will be on the floor for Florida. I think they're gonna. I, I think he's gonna get going. I mean, he's still defending at a very high level, um, which tells me he's he hasn't like gotten to where it's affecting him. His offensive slump is affecting him as a player. Uh, completely, but I do think like his offense was just bad enough last night against ECU as we record on a Friday morning to where like he had to be off the floor. So I, I would say it will be Kugel, Clayton, Richard, and then 
<laughs> Samuel uh, and um, either Poland or Condon. History is telling us it's going to be Condon because Florida has gone with with the multiple bigs. I, I do think Florida may start shifting away from hand locked until he actually plays better defense under the post. And like, I wonder if Mike has gotten so concerned about defending without fouling that he's now like lost some aggression as a rim protector, which can happen to young players. Like, I don't know. I'm out of practice. I did want to mention one thing before I kick it back to Eric for some final thoughts on the jump man invitational. Uh, and that is that uh, if you are, Again, if you're at the Spectrum Center, um, hit us up. Uh, make sure that you come say hi. It was cool to see a bunch of people at the other one. Also, the Jumpman Invitational is uh, close to, to my heart as I've gotten involved here in the Charlotte area. Uh, you know, I haven't been able to coach basketball at a very high level like I was able to in Florida, but um, have started working with the Carolina Youth Coalition and um, their basketball programs, which is under the Jordan brand wings program, um, which sponsors a host of YMCA and then everything from U14, U12 and U16 teams. I'm currently working with a U14 team, which is a lot different than high school basketball, Eric. Um, and, uh, I'm really enjoying it. So Jumpman, uh, a portion of all your ticket proceeds go to the Carolina Atlanta Youth Coalition and Jordan Brand Wings Program. MJ himself, his airness, is going to write a check on uh, Tuesday night to uh, the Carolina Youth Coalition for $500,000. So, um, you know, Michael, uh, helping out a lot. They operate community health clinics. They run midnight basketball programs for kids whose parents work at night, which I think is an incredibly cool program. Um, they've built over 50 basketball courts in the greater Charlotte area. And then they have uh, an apparel design program for young kids who uh, are into like hoops fashion, which as Eric knows, is a big part of our game. So um, come out. It's a good cause. It's a great event. Um, and come say hello. Uh, and by the way, I'm not getting any money for that promotion, uh, nor is Eric. So I just think it's cool that they have this event with with uh, all four of the big brand Jumpman programs. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for sharing that because I truthfully did not know about it. So that's that's awesome to hear. This is more than just an opportunity to showcase. Uh, yeah, these these Jordan brand schools and because um, I, you know, as, as as much as it's it's great to hear that there's more important stuff going on. But at the same time, it's certainly uh, it is good for the Gators and these Jordan brand schools to point out that they are, in fact, Jordan brand schools, because let me tell you from talking to recruits, um, there are a whole lot of kids that that, uh, that matters to. Um, oh so yeah, it's good. It is good for Florida to continue to showcase their their brand affiliation. Um, but yeah, in terms of the game, I think we, we we covered it all. I don't really have any any more thoughts other than to reiterate what I said last last show that um, I kind of think like this could be the defining game of the non conference season in the sense that I think if Florida loses this, you have to say that it was a unsuccessful non conference season, and if they win. Um, uh, I don't think you could say it was a glowing success, but I think you could say, hey, that was that was fine. Um, go into the SEC and, you know, see what see what see what happens and you feel OK and you kind of say, OK, well, now it's down to league play to, to kind of decide the fates. Um, something that um, one of our supporters, Jared Villamare, or I don't know. I realize I don't know how to actually pronounce his name, Jared. I'm so sorry if I just mispronounced that. But um, we love Jared. And he pointed out something that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, 
I was going to make you guess the, I like making you guess things that are, that are hard to guess and just <laughs> it, it, embarrassing you. But because I always ask you these questions that I realize after asking them, they're like, there's no way you know this, but I, I was somewhat surprised to see. And again, this is as, as it currently stands. Um, the Gators only have as again, as currently stands eight quadrant one games remaining on their schedule. And I would have thought that that number would have been larger um, I would have thought there would have been more quadrant one games in the SEC. The SEC has not performed particularly admirably in non-conference play. So again, I think that probably going into the season when, especially, you know, I was the one who pointed out, I think the Gators might only have one or two quad one games on their non-conference. Yeah, it looks like it right. could be as much as could be as much as four. We'll see how it all shakes out. Um, but I would have thought that there would have been more, more opportunities for now, I will add, in the SEC. Yeah, go on. I will add, I was right that, Virginia is firmly a quad one game right now. And yeah. it, it looks like it will remain that way. It's the Cavaliers. I don't think either of us anticipated Ryan Dunn being this good, but like, anyway. Yeah. Well, no, and that's, that was, Hey, you deserve, you deserve credit for that one. But uh, yeah, I just think like with the fact that there's probably, I would have guessed, I mean, it's not major, but I would have guessed probably 10 quadrant one games on the SEC schedule. And again, it's eight on the schedule currently. And then, presumably in the sec tournament you're probably playing quadrant one games you know and that's that's i shouldn't say probably but a high probability that you're playing all quadrant one games on the neutral floor of the sec tournament but uh but yeah it just it just heightened that i think that this michigan game just the way that things have shaken out um has become probably the 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 hinge point of if this can be considered a disappointing or a fine non-conference schedule for the Gators. And uh, Neil, if you want to respond to that or anything, and uh, why don't you close us out after that? Yeah, no doubt. A huge game, huge game for Florida. Couldn't agree more. Ty Golden has one quad one win in his uh, career as the head coach of Florida Gators. Um, You know, replaced a guy who led the country in quad one wins in his third season, uh, who made the elite eight in his second season. Um and who finished top 10 in the country in quad one wins in a year when his best player collapsed on the floor. So um, if you don't like what I just said and you're listening, I'm sorry for stating things that are facts. Huge game for the Gators. Must win. Go Gators. Keep attacking closeouts.